Hey, what's up? It's episode 118, pain points of wealth and inflation is coming down. We have the consumer price index come down more than expected last week. Producers price index come down more than expected. Meanwhile, the labor market remains hot. Our vantage point of a soft landing is becoming more real by the moment. Recessionary fears are continuing to dwindle as investors are starting to put money back in the market. Well, we're going to tell you how we feel about all this, but we feel pretty good. And on the tipping point today, we're going to talk about cutting corners with your money. You shouldn't do it. We're going to tell you why. Check it out. We got a great show. Well, you know what, guys? I learned something today. Uh, I learned that CPI stands for the Consumer Price Index. I always thought it stood for the Chris Payne Index. guess I was wrong. <laughs> is that just how many boats Chris is going to buy this year? Is that what it measures? If that's the case, it's through the roof. Can one really have too many boats? <laughs> hey, you know what? We need, we need somebody to drive the global GDP. Thank you, Chris. You're doing your fair share. Um, but you know what, guys? I'll tell you one thing that uh, you're reminded of this week when we had you know, like almost a 400-point ramp in the market on Thursday is that markets are moved by surprises, right? It's like everything that's known, everything that you and I talk to our clients about, uh, everybody already knows. Uh, what a lot of people didn't know is that the PPI was going to fall to 2.7%. You know how high that was earlier in the year? Like about 11. 11%. What yeah. a huge drop. I don't think Ryan was surprised. No, of that's course right. not. Well, uh, yeah. Nothing well, surprises Ryan. I feel bad for the rest of you trying to figure it out why I already have it figured out. But uh, what can I tell you? It's a charmed life. Um, but, you know, I thought it was interesting, Bob, you mentioned this to me, was the European markets are actually sitting at an all-time record high. Now, that's crazy just to think about it in general, because you always think the U.S. is the best. But even more so, we have, your, we have a war in Eastern Europe, and all you heard over the last year was just how bad Europe is. And meanwhile, it's outperforming the U.S., and they're literally sitting at the greatest, highest prices they've ever sat at. That's incredible. Well, you know, it's like one of those things that's like you, you never know what's going to be good in a given year. Like you never know what's going to pop. It's like back in 2020 where commercial real estate was our best holding because people forgot about data centers and warehouses. That's true. And then warehouses are still doing well, Chris, um, as are data centers. Um, but, you know, when you look at Europe, it, uh, nothing but uh, bad news on the nightly reports. Um, and you hear, you know, of course, the war in Ukraine and you had the energy crisis. And now they have a big strike going on in France because they... God forbid they have to retire at 64, not 62. <laughs> um, but, you know, France's market is leading the way. You know, France is up bigger than every other European bourse this year. Well, first off, France is always on strike, by the way. So that's, I don't think that's news <laughs> at this point. I don't think it's, it's rare if France is not on a strike. But that is, that's incredible, right? Who would have guessed? Like, I didn't hear any, any strategists at the beginning of the year talking about how great the French market was going to do this year. And I think that's, to your point, the point. Like, I was talking... So this friend of mine, and he said, well, we got to be really careful about this commercial real estate market. We don't know what it means for the stock market. And I said, dude, the fact we're talking about it means it doesn't mean much. Yeah. Um, you know, like four weeks ago, we weren't talking about how concerned we were about the insurance levels at banks on those deposits, because when it happened, it was a complete surprise. And to your point, Bob, I mean, that's what drives markets. It's what we don't know and can't factor in. Well, you know, I was listening to uh, the morning business report and Delta happened to come on and report their earnings, which were disappointing, actually. But their second quarter projection was record advanced bookings for the summer. Um, so they said, you know, if you're concerned over consumer spending, doesn't look like it here. Everybody's traveling. I know I'm going to uh, Greece in September. Rye, you're going to France. 
in um, in May. And Chris, you know, we know you go away every month, but it's like, you know, people are traveling, people are spending money. And it's incredible how a lot of, uh, a lot of investors, a lot of strategists, I'm saying investor, a lot of strategists, you know, they just keep telling you, well, things are going to get bad, you know, like, okay, yeah, they're good now, but they're going to get bad. Trust me, it's going to get bad. Yeah, guys, I just want to say this, you know, I, I travel for the love of the game. You know, I, I want to support our clients. I want to make sure our clients are making money. So I feel like it's my my duty to support our economy. So, you know, you're welcome. Yeah. That's why I follow the, the Chris Payne index religiously. It's the only indicator I follow now, you know, <laughs> it tells you everything you need to know. As you should. Um, but yeah, I mean, what else is interesting too is, I mean, we had the job data come out about a week ago and it's just not cooling down, right? They made a big fuss about the fact that now there's 9 million job openings as opposed to 10 million job openings. Well, that's still 1.7 jobs for one person looking. Like that's still one of the hottest job markets ever in history and unemployment came down again. So I think, you know, the one thing we've talked about on this show religiously is how the job market is just not going to fall off a cliff. And if people continue to make money, uh, which it appears they are, and again, it's just been our thesis the whole time around is in, in, believe it or not, inflation might actually be transitory. Well, it's really hard to put this economy into a recession. It's, it's really hard to do that. And it looks like it's starting to come to fruition, what we've been saying now for a very, very long time. Well, Ryan, that's a good point about the job market. I, I met with a client of ours last night who's a uh, pretty successful electrical contractor in our area. And uh, they just recently lost uh, two people to competition. And they said their biggest issue is not trying to get, get jobs for their company, but the issue is trying to get people to replace those two people that are gone. Yeah, you know what, Chris? I, I just spoke to a, a huge mechanical contractor. And I, you know, I said, uh, he called me up just to see, you know, what our sense of things were. I mean, he watched the podcast every week. And I said, well, tell me about your business. I mean, what, how's it look? What's, you know, what's the outlook for the rest of the year? And he said, there are so many jobs to bid on. He goes, I don't have time to bid on. It doesn't mean those jobs are going to come through, but based on what's out there right now, he said, the economy's booming. So it's yeah. a, you know, it's pretty amazing when, when you look at what the Federal Reserve's trying to do. And, you know, there's an article and the journal this week is questioning whether we even need the Federal Reserve anymore because, you know, their track record, not really good. You know, it's like it's almost like leave the markets alone. The markets will take care of themselves. I don't think that's true, Dad. I think the Federal Reserve is doing a great job of disrupting the market and pushing prices <laughs> down, you know, so we can buy more shares at better better deals. Well, what I love is, and, and Ryan and I were, were commenting on this the other day because, you know, there's so many negative people on, on the national news and one of the more negative uh, strategist was on the other day and he said, yeah, I can't believe how negative people have been. I think things are looking pretty good. Things are reasonably priced. <laughs> like he was the most negative person on television in the last year yeah. and, and suddenly just acts like, oh no, that wasn't me. That was some other guy. Yeah. I mean, a complete reality distortion field, right? The it's, it's worse. What's worse than the fact that all these strategists have been wrong is now they're going to deny it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they're going to just pretend like, oh no, no, I never said that. I never said that. Um, which makes it even more frustrating when um, you watch some of these people on TV with their predictions. But, you know, I, I think what else is interesting, too, uh, when, you, when you start looking at this year uh, in the stock market specifically, and you look at earnings, like they're not going to be great this quarter. But by the time you get to the end of the year and you go into next year, we're going to see like really big earnings growth come back, something like in the tune of 12% next year uh, for the whole year. And, you know, the thing we always remind our listeners is markets look to the future, if you look past this year, well, the future looks pretty good. Well, that's the hard part about investing, guys. I mean, if you look back, it's real easy, right? You know, hindsight's twenty twenty when it comes to any any type of portfolio decision or investment decision. And, you know, last year we had a correction in, in some areas of the market. We had a bear market. 
And what was it looking forward to? You know, some of the hyperinflation, the inflation not being transitory, the Fed taking interest rates from zero to 5% in nine increases in one year, uh, second biggest increase in history. And now, you know, like you're saying, right, it's probably looking not at 2023 earnings, not looking at this quarter's earnings, which started today with the bank earnings, which, of course, surprised the upside. It's looking at 2024 and 2025. Um, and that's why it's so difficult to react to what's happening now. You have to anticipate what's going to happen. And the market does it better than anybody because it's a collective wisdom of all investors. Well, it makes you wonder how many people, you know, went and invested in banks after the whole SVB crisis, you know, now to come out with these banks are having great earnings. Probably not too many. Well, um, except for us, uh, we were buying large value on the decline. Uh, but of course, you know, we're, we're fully invested at all times. And there's always opportunity in your portfolio every day. The market tells you where it is. You know, it doesn't mean you're going to be realized again the next day. But, you know, buying low, I love to buy low. I love to buy things that are out of favor. Uh, it never gets old, guys. It never gets old. It never gets old. And it just shows you what a waste of time to try to time the market in the last year and a half. Like a diversified portfolio last year that wasn't over-concentrated in tech, like we warned. Okay, maybe we're down over around 10% for the year. Well, you've already gotten back like 5% of that this year. So you're down maybe 5% from your all-time record high. What a waste of time, even with all the volatility and all the uncertainty, to try to figure out when to be in and when to be out. I mean, it's just like a, such a futile, for what, right? To, to barely save anything. And meanwhile, you've got all those dividends coming in. You've got all that interest paying out that you're compounding. Um, it, just, it just kind of amplifies for me how foolish it is to try to time or game the market and believe you figure you can figure out what can happen next. I think these last 12 months or so prove it's almost virtually impossible to predict what's going to happen next. Well, you know, that's true, right? Every meeting I've done this year with a client, they've been absolutely shocked at their portfolios in the black this year. Um, and I actually had to sit down with a client this week and go through line item by line item to prove they're actually up for the year. They couldn't believe it based <laughs> on the news. Hey, hey, Chris, you got to believe the news, not your lying eyes. It's your statement's up. That's not true. Yeah. You know, I think Chris, is, you must be printing them in the basement like uh, like Madoff used to do. <laughs> right? You know, and, and the thing is, I think what's great about this podcast is we, we try to be balanced in, in, in our view. We try to look at the good and the bad. Um, you obviously have an optimistic spin. But I think, Ryan, you said it last week or the week before. Yeah, there's so many smart people working really hard to figure out what's bad out there and, and study what's 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 wrong that we don't have to waste our time on that. You know, everybody provides that information. What you really have to look for are the green shoots, the positive things that are happening. And there's so many good things happening before your eyes. Uh, it's hard to believe that people aren't fully invested right now. Hey, Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. But if you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement financial independence plan, and you want a more hands-on approach, you want to know if you're doing everything right, doing it wrong, here's your shot to do it. If you go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan, Chris, Bob, and I will run for you our total financial master plan. We'll do it with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We look at everything. Do you need an income plan for retirement? We figure out when it takes Social Security, how to draw from your portfolio, factor in inflation without running out of money. We'll look at diversification. Have you gotten hit hard here as markets have been extremely volatile? Or have you been sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, can't figure out what to do? We'll help you put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it 
over the rest of your life and will look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high costs, insurance products, annuities, brokerage products, structured products. We'll show you how to reduce all the costs on your portfolio and optimize it for taxes. Now what you make, it's what you take. You'll get our full tax playbook. If you go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan, if you saved over a million dollars for your retirement financial independence plan, go there right now for your free review. All right, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. Having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And Bob and Chris, you know, one thing we've learned at our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, is that, you know, when it comes to financial planning, you know, you really don't want to take shortcuts. And when you take shortcuts, that can really come back to bite you later when you're really thinking about seriously drawing from your portfolio. So I thought we'd talk today about some of the shortcuts that we see that a lot of you take and why you just shouldn't do it. Well, I'll take the first one. Taking too much risk and try to make it up for not saving enough in the early years. Well, I really like this one because this is basically tantamount to gambling. You know, you go down to Atlantic City, you know, you see somebody who's down at the tables and they double down on their investments and they keep doubling down. But what invariably ends up happening is they end up losing all their money. And that's what happens when you take more risk to try and make up for what you didn't save in early years. Yeah, but it's even worse, Chris. You have someone who overspends uh, in retirement. They, they just can't remember... Uh, that they're retired and they no longer have a business. They can go to the cash register and hit petty cash you know, every week. And what it forces them to do is either take way more risk than they should, uh, trying to make up for it. But even worse, they go to the real conservative side, and that's where the insurance salesman comes in and says, hey, I can give you a deal where you'll get 8% a year. Well, is it really 8% a year, or is it we're going to give you your money back and tell you that's returned? Uh, and next thing you know, you're broke. So it's, you know, inflation is the insidious hidden tax that you have to offset, and you've got to control your emotions when it comes to investing and spending. Yeah, and I mean, risk management is everything, right? And we've said this ad nauseum on this podcast, but it's not what you make on the upside. It's protecting on the downside when markets sell off aggressively, because I think the, the vantage point is like, wow, markets are going up right now. Let's get more aggressive. Let's get while the getting's good. That's like the worst strategy possible, because- when things are going up wildly and people are excited, you're close to the end. <laughs> if you're going to get aggressive, you want to do that when the world's falling apart, and that's the hardest time to do it. So I think that risk management component is what gets missed the most, and I think a lot of people felt that uh, last year as tech just got hammered. You know, Bitcoin was all over the place. Disruptive technologies were, and people were like, wow, you know, they saw their net worths get devastated because of that. You know, somebody once told me we went through their, their financial review and it, it, they didn't quite like where they, they ended up at age 100. And they said, you know, Chris, I think we really need to get serious and invest in things that are going to do a lot better, like Bitcoin <laughs> and big tech stocks. <laughs> that didn't end real well. Well, that's the problem, Chris. You know, it's like it's and investing is emotional, right? We talk about this all the time. Uh, it's not a high IQ business. And if you're if you're a high IQ, you're probably a bad investor. If you're low IQ, you're a better investor. At least that's what Warren <laughs> Buffett says. And it makes yeah. sense, right? Because you're unemotional. Um, if you get too emotional, you get too analytical, you make mistakes. And, and let's face it, when you have success in the market, whether the idea is you think you're a genius and you want to have more of it. But then you have the salespeople in the financial services industry. And then it's easier to sell you something when it's hot, which is the wrong thing to do. They don't want to do the right thing. They want to make as much money as they can for themselves yeah. while they're doing it. And they don't care if you suffer the consequences. That's why it's so hard. And my, my favorite metaphor, Bob, or analogy is kind of like, you know, it's like as a financial advisor, we're kind of like your personal trainer. 
You know, it's like you want to eat chocolate cake, but we're slapping your hand away and telling you, no, you're going to feel good in the moment. I think that was like buying a lot of that hot, hot technology last year. But man, you're going to regret it later. And it's the same thing. You'll be a lot happier later if you don't reach for the chocolate cake, you don't take it and you maintain that discipline. You do what you don't want to do. That's when you, I mean, it's kind of a metaphor for life, but investing is kind of the same way. You know, I think mom should be a financial advisor because, you know, I was eating chocolate cake when I was down to visit you in Florida, and I remember her taking it away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Chris. Good point. But, you know, I think the same thing. You don't want to go to the trainer because they're going to make you do the things that you don't want to do, right? Work on those muscles that you never use. And 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 has a lot to do with investing in your portfolio. Like, I want you to add to international. Oh, international never goes up. I don't want to add to that. You know, it, it's like when things are at the most value, right? When they're the best opportunity is when we feel worse about it. I always tell all of our advisors, you know, the best time to buy is when you're actually throwing up on your keyboard as you put the trade in. That's when you know you've got a good opportunity. Yeah. Man, Ryan's keyboard must be pretty nasty. Well, that's the thing, right? You know, you get all these little. You get all these analytical, quote unquote, smart people um, trying to analyze things. But at the end of the day, it's an emotional business, right? Investing is an emotional human behavioral science. And I always think that's the crazy thing about our industry is because it attracts so many analytical people. But this is about human behavior. And human behavior tends to make bad decisions over and over again. And that's pretty much our job is to try to correct that bad behavior that humans tend to like, you know, they're drawn towards always like it's like uh, Groundhog Day. Well, you know what, guys, I mean, having a great investment strategy is awesome. And, you know, that's definitely a big part of the battle. But, you know, the other thing that I see a lot of times when doing reviews, especially with our clients, is that they haven't reviewed their legal documents in 10 plus years, or they don't even have any legal documents. And, you know, that can be really devastating, especially for your heirs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, titling, titling those assets as beneficiaries, because it's one thing not to have your will up to date, it's another thing not to update your beneficiaries, not up to date the guardians, you know, for your children or grandchildren. They're little things, little boxes that not, need to be checked. And it's it's surprising, Chris. I mean, actually shocking how many people haven't done anything in that regard. You know, Dad, one of the things I noticed that going through your legal documents, I noticed that Ryan and I are no longer on there and you've got Liam Hamline. I I, I feel like that needs to be changed. It has been changed. And and <laughs> unless your name's Liam, yeah. you know, you're going to be working a long time. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm trusty on everything. So I'm going to make big changes <laughs> eventually. <laughs> when Bob's senile, I'm going to take over everything and uh, put everything in my name. Uh, but that's my long-term strategy. Nice to King Liam, buddy. <laughs> no, but I think, I think the other thing is interesting. I always hear this is like when you haven't updated your will in like 10 years. Oh, remember that brother, your ex-brother-in-law? Uh, who now is going to make decisions for your kids when you're not on God's green earth because you never switched it. Uh, that's another big, big issue is you really do want to update those documents because who the beneficiaries are, who the trustees are, the guardians are. A lot of times there are people that are maybe even passed away. You don't like anymore. They're out of the family now. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to update those you know, documents. I'd say like every look at them every five years or so. Well, I think the biggest issue, guys, is that no one wants to talk about their own mortality. Yeah. Um, so... It, it, you know, that has a, ne it's a negative connotation. And I think the same thing happens when you're dealing with health care costs, right? Every, you, we do our projections, but we factor in, you know, a quarter million dollars of health care costs at the end of life that, you know, no one wants to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. But nonetheless, we've got a plan for it. Um, and very few, if anybody that we take on as a new client has done any thinking in that regard. Yeah, no, no, 100%. And I think the other big issue is, is, you know, our business is about sales, right? It's a lot of salespeople selling you product. 
And you know, what happens a lot of times is you get all these products or buy what you like to call that collection of investments. And Chris and I worked on a review the other day and you know, this guy went through and finally decided to say, hey, I'm going to look at the investments that this advisor sold me and realized on one investment, he was being charged like almost 4%. Wow. That's insane. So it's really, really critical. And Bob, I think this is one of your, my favorite Bobisms is like, know what you own and why you own it. And most of us kind of gloss over that especially when we're working with a quote unquote financial professional. Yeah. And you know, it's like, you think about it like this. I mean, if you're trying to achieve a five or 6% rate of return on your money and almost 4% of that is in fees, you have to average 10% a year, which means taking a ton more risk than you, than is absolutely necessary. All right. So for everybody listening to this today, who has a friend or family member who's not a client of paying capital management, all you have to do is hire us. We'll fire the advisor charging 4%. And they're 90% closer to their goal. Chris, did I ever say that Bob was a shameless promoter? <laughs> it's almost embarrassing, Bob. Well, I'd rather, but, I'd rather be successful and embarrassed. Actually, that's probably the, if you glean anything from this podcast today, I think that's probably the most brilliant line. Um, and no, that's very true. And I think it, it's just, but it's so critical just to kind of believe the point is really understanding what that fee structure is. Because what Wall Street does really well is they embed the fees within what you own. You don't see the fees it doesn't mean you're not paying them. And to get that x-ray and really look at what you're paying overall, it adds up over time. It can have a huge impact on your ability to retire and live off your money. Compounding works both ways. It works for you, it works against you. So, you know, be certain that you do know what you own and you, know, and you absolutely know why you own it. All right, it's the Hidden Facts of Finance random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob. Saudi Arabia is constructing a new $500 billion city in the desert that's 30 times, 33 times bigger than New York City and building a Red Sea resort the size of Belgium. Saudi Arabia could be in line for a world-class demographic dividend with a median age of below 30. The U.S. figure is closer to 38.5. The surge of women heading into the workforce following Ben Salman's reforms provides an extra economic charge. Maybe it's the future, Bob. Well, it could be. I mean, uh, for Saudi Arabia, the future obviously is oil. I mean, they're, they're concerned about the fact that the world is, wants to go more green, which eventually they will. But, you know, I don't know why there's such a panic to move. 80% of our energy resources still comes from, uh, from carbon, you know, or usage, put it that way. So I guess um, they're looking for they're looking down the uh, down the line, right? So I don't know New York City. You want to visit New York City? You want to visit Saudi Arabia? I'll stick okay. to New York City. I don't know. I see Ryan moving to Saudi Arabia in the near future. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, thirty three times bigger than New York, and my ego is thirty three times bigger than everyone else's. So it makes sense. All right, Chris. I was talking to my buddy who's uh, from Saudi Arabia the other day, and he said that uh, their millennials are as lazy as ours. Right? <laughs> is that true? I doubt it. I doubt it. All right, Chris, just 17% of new vehicles sold last month were under $30,000. Cars are getting way more expensive versus 44% five years ago. U.S. new vehicle inventory hit 1.83 million units last month, up some 73% from a year ago. But pre-pandemic inventory was still roughly 3.5 million units. Well, you know what they say when there's more demand and less supply, that's a raise in prices. The other thing, too, is interesting. Uh, last year, I had a client um, got an offer from his local Cadillac dealership that they were going to offer him more than what he paid for his two-year-old Cadillac. Yeah, sometimes your leases, when you're turning those cars in, um, you know, the value is much more than what the 
I guess the buy-in value is. So pretty wild. Bob, U.S. is overbanked compared with the rest of the world. We lead with 4,135 banking institutions, according to the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp. The U.K. comes in a distant second with only 311 different banks. Even on a per capita basis, the U.S. stands near the top with 12.8 banks per million people. While U.S. banking consolidation has been going on for decades, we used to have something like 14,434 banks back in 1980. We still have a lot of banks. Well, you know, the one thing that's been very consistent in my career as a financial advisor have been banking crisis. And, uh, you know, there's the trend, right, from 14,000 down to 4,000. I'll make a prediction to you guys. We're going to see a lot of consolidation as a result of this latest banking crisis, and especially with what's going on with commercial real estate. So M&A activity is going to pick up in the banking industry. This time next year, we're going to have less banks. Well, Bob, I like your, uh, your predictions. I like your insights to the future. Chris, in the most recent period, the end of 2010 through 2022, the S&P 500 was up 355%. Compare that to the emerging markets, which are only up 26%. Huge disparity in return. In the period right before that, from 1999 through 2010, however, emerging markets were up 392%, and the S&P 500 was only up 10%. Seems like every decade, the leaders change. Well, it just goes to show you that everything goes up over time. It just doesn't come in neat little lines, and you shouldn't have a particular bias to any particular asset category. It's just because it's down doesn't mean it's going to stay down. And just because it's up doesn't mean it's going to stay up. That's true. And the S&P 500 can have long periods where it does nothing. Buyer beware. All right, gentlemen, another great show. If you like our podcast, love our podcast, please subscribe. It's on Spotify. You can just subscribe right there to our channel. This is on iTunes. You can give us that five-star rating, please, and leave us a comment, please. And if it's on YouTube right now, you can like this episode, subscribe to our channel, click that notification bell. To be updated every week of all our new content, your support gives us the ability to continue to do this podcast. Thank you. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Ryan, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.